On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Guess who's number one, Hutchie, and it's a man you uh, put down at number four on your list, but to me, he is a, uh, a resounding number one on mine, Robert Craddock from the Courier-Mail. Wow. Who I've known since the early 1990s. I just think he's a, a genius in every sense of uh, the media definition of it. He's got time for everyone, that being the, the, the copy kid as it was in his time, who just started right through to the, the chief executive of the Australian Cricket Board. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menners, and the audio you heard at the beginning of the show was from the Sounding Board Podcast and Damien Barrett talking about his number one journalist in Australia, Robert Crash Craddock, who I'm going to talk to shortly. Coming up after I talk to Robert Craddock, I have my roving mic at the Big Bash. I spoke to a few players at the SCG over the weekend. And then after that, we're joined by the chief cricket writer from the Australian, Pete Lawler. All right, so let's get into the show. Well, joining me now on the podcast, I have Fox Cricket star and Courier Mail chief cricket writer, Robert Crash Craddock. Crash, how are you? Very well, Manus. Now, Crash, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit now. I listened to a podcast called The The Sounding Board by Damien Barrett and Craig Hutchinson, and they, they counted down their top five journos. And you were Damien Barrett's number one journo in Australia, number one sports journo in Australia. Has this news filtered through to you? I wasn't aware, man. It's a lovely surprise. I, I must admit, Damien's probably being a bit sympathetic towards me because we used to work together in Brisbane and... Uh, we do get on very well, but look, I've, I've got great respect for Damien too. Uh, I've actually learned a lot off him over the years, you know, as his forensic ways and, uh, you know, he's a much better news hound than I am. So it's quite often <laughs> the younger blokes you learn things from, but I, you know, I'm sure he was just being kind to me because uh, I'll, I'll tell you now, there's uh, many, many better journalists than, uh, than me, it, uh, even at my own paper, the Courier Mail, never mind uh, around Australia, but I'll, as uh, Keith Miller used to say, we don't mind a bit of flattery when we get older, so I'll take it. <laughs> a good one, Crasher. I, I agree with everything he said about you, so I think it's well-deserved. And I just wonder, from your point of view, do, do you feel like you're in good form this season? You know, you're doing, you're everywhere, TV, radio, writing. You know, do you feel like you're a batsman sort of making runs at the moment? Um, look, you come and go. It's it's and misses. We've, uh, we've done Cricket 360 for Fox right on deadline uh, straight after the game, which has been interesting. And uh, so I have to file my copy in the last you know, la- last session of the day and then duck up and do Fox. So it's challenging, but it's so enjoyable. I'm really enjoying uh, jumping on air with Jared Whateley and, and the guys. And, and it's just it's just terrific, actually, the excitement of it. Having, you know, too often over the years, we've had to, leave the cricket to the nightly news but we stay with it on Fox Sports and uh, I must say it's been one of the most stimulating things I've ever done because of the excitement level you know you're, you're rough and raw and real sometimes you you overstep the mark and sometimes but you don't really have a lot of time to think it's uh, quite breathless but, but great fun. Yeah, it's great for a viewer because, you know, you finish the day's cricket and you want to digest what's happened and then you and Jerry can sort of walk you through the day. And what I've noticed is you get great guests on. Somehow you're getting uh, players and coaches straight after play, which which is kind of unheard of. Yeah, it is. And I think the players enjoy the immediacy of it, but they... You know, we had Mitchell Stark on, Tim Payne on, just after he kept all day in Adelaide. I must say, that was one of the reasons I rate him so highly. Like, he kept all day in Adelaide and then turned up on our set. I couldn't believe it. Justin Langer after the test win. So, 
look, we're, we're trying to set a bit of a news agenda with the show of, of you know, there's been plenty of stories out of it that have been quoted and requoted, which has been lovely. And But it's still a work in progress. I still feel, um, you know, each day you feel a bit vulnerable, menaced and a bit nervous. <laughs> oh. But it, it's, it's great fun. And, and I think, you know, the coverage of the two television networks has been fresh and vibrant. That's the vibe I've had from my mates in. And will only improve, too, as they get to know each other. Yeah, and uh, on the last podcast, I had Alison Mitchell on from Channel 7. And look, I know 7 and Fox Cricket are competing, but the real winner out of all this is the consumer because there's so much choice now of programs and commentators. So I think the real winner is the cricket fan. Yeah, look, they really are. Uh, And I've also feel that someone made a point to me just this morning that it's also... People say it's about the voices you really like. Like, I'm a big Kerry O'Keefe fan. I love his commentary and his analysis. But they said it's also about having not having the voices you don't like, the abrasive voices that you think, oh, I don't like it when he's on, and that makes you turn, turn the station. And I sense that on Fox and also Channel 7, there aren't many of those. You know, there's a nice uh, a feel-good factor about most of them. And that is significant, the other end of the scale, the abrasive voice that you don't want. So, you know, you might find that there's someone who's not your favourite commentator, but you don't mind them, you know. But I've enjoyed working with the Fox guys on 360. Warney's got strong opinions. Kerry O'Keefe's always got a story. Michael Vaughan will tell you something you don't know. And it's been great fun, really. Well, congratulations. Keep it up. I look forward to the rest of the summer. Now, now let's get on to the cricket news. I was at the SCG on Friday afternoon when Steve Smith spoke. What was your reaction to him speaking and what he had to say? Yeah, well, I, I think I, I was surprised Steve did an ad with Vodafone, I've got to say. I, I felt that that was probably a misjudgment, that it, it, it sort of just wasn't the right time for the ad to come out before he'd spoken really at length publicly on home soil. I feel he's in a, in a, he's right where I thought he'd be, sort of trying to move on, racked by a little bit of doubt, you know, trying to restore his image and his game, missing it desperately. And I think Australia's public will forgive him eventually. I don't have many doubts about that, but the road is not easy. It's a great cricket. And he's topped a bit of sledging there, you know. Like, he will never quite be what he was. He can't be. You know, he'll always be the captain who was banned for a year. Uh, I I have no doubts about the veracity of his story where he said that he was walking behind David Warner and Cameron Bancroft and thought, I don't want to know about that. And it was a failing of his leadership. He should have stepped in, but he didn't. And I think that probably says a little bit about his personality, that that he's a young guy who grew up in a bubble that's probably not used to making really, really strong decisions. Yeah, it's interesting you say Steve Smith will will carry it forever, and he will, but, you know, I look at Shane Warne, and he was banned for a year for failing a drug test, but it, it kind of gets sort of forgotten about in, in the sort of whole wholeness of his successful career. So Steve Smith, I think, still has a chance now to sort of put the record straight in some ways. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Manish. You've made a very good point. But the difference between Shane Warren's drug ban and Stephen Smith's is that Stephen Smith, he, he's a different case. And that was a blatant case of, oh, well, you know, cheating and, and you know, really. Uh, to, Warren's was more vanity. He was, he was coming back, uh, you know, he took a, took a, a, a diuretic pill to, to lose weight and, I don't think he was trying to cheat anyone when he took it. So there is a difference, but you are right. In the passage of time, people are often uh, remembered by their final years. And Steve will have probably about six years as a batsman in international cricket. And he will be back. Let's be certain about that. He will come back. The interesting question is whether he becomes Australian captain again. I would think the chances are more likely yes than no. But it's still, it's still, they're going to monitor the public reaction to him when he does return. Yeah, I'm sitting on the fence with this one because I think if, if another candidate can emerge who's fitted for test captaincy, then I think you'd go with that person because Steve Smith has shown signs that it's the extra pressure and the off-field stuff and the tension that goes around cricket that gets to him, not the batting and the bowling. So maybe we should just let him bat and bowl. Yeah, yeah, it, it's... 
I'm looking through the team and I'm struggling. Given that Tim Payne will be about 36 uh, when Steve Smith finishes his year ban from captaincy on top of his year ban for batting, I can't see anyone really coming through at the moment. So, look, it's not certain that he'll come back as captain, but it's not as if we've got a young Ian Chappell waiting in the wings or a young Mark Taylor or a young Michael Clark. There's no one there who you sort of think, wow, that guy is just waiting, ready to go. I know they would love it if Mitchell Marsh shot the lights out. They love his leadership potential, but he's got a lot to prove as a player. Agree. Now let's shift now to another band player, Cameron Bancroft. He makes his return to professional cricket in the in the out-of-the-way venue of University of Tasmania Oval in Launceston, but he wrote a letter to himself in the West Australian newspaper yesterday. And uh, did you catch that letter, Crash? Yeah, I did. He's very much a Justin Langer type. He's deeply deeply, sort of a, a spiritual, intense, a deep thinker. And he did yoga, while, of course, in yoga instructing while he was out, as a way of detaching himself from the past and the future and just sort of living in the moment. So... That was difficult for Cameron Bancroft. You must remember that at his time when he was dropped for a year, or sort of nine months, his test batting average is in the low 30s, around 31, I think. So I I felt he was about a test away from being dropped anyway. So his return is far less assured than Stephen Smith's. And he'll have a handful of Sheffield Shield games to prove himself for Ashes selection but he would need to post some pretty strong results, I would say, because Marcus Harris is is looking very much like Ash's down player to me. Yeah, I agree. But there were some incredible sort of insights and, I guess, wisdom that Bancroft showed in that letter in the Western Australian. I mean, there's a line here. A trip you take to Broome in May can be defined by the words of the great St. Francis of Assisi. It is in giving that we shall receive. And then he said that he has to view himself as Cameron Bancroft, who plays cricket and not Cameron Bancroft, the cricketer. I mean, I think whatever happens to him, whether he plays for Australia again, we're seeing sort of a a mature man emerge from the ashes of what happened. Yeah, certainly he's done a bit of growing. And look, I know there were people who, his last statement when he said, the thing that's really hurt me is that I've given someone else a chance to get my spot for free. You know, I, I know there were power brokers who thought he could have shown more worldliness and said something like, the thing that's really hurt me is that I've let down the Australian entire Australian cricket system. But he's had time for introspection. I know people in Perth have been very impressed by how he's gone back to grassroots and, and really sort of tried to sort things out. Um, it, it was not a, it, you know, it, it should be said he wasn't a boy. You know, it's not as if he's 20 or 19. He's in his mid-20s, Cameron Bancroft. He's been around for quite a while. He should have known better. But we're all about redemption in sport, aren't we? And, and I mm. do hope that he, he can find that, uh, his, his path back. All right. So now the it's been like the heavyweight battle of the summer so far. Crash, we've had Tim Payne v Virat Kohli. And I think... The Perth Test match was when Payne announced himself onto the world as Australian captain when he when he stood up to Virat Kohli. Oh yeah, it was great, wasn't it? And I've just done my cricketers of the year, my my team of the year, and I put Tim Payne in as wicketkeeper. It may seem like a surprising choice, but you look at what he's done. He's had saved a Test against Pakistan with the bat. He's contributed very heavily towards Australia's uh, defeat of India in Perth with the bat. His wicket-keeping's been terrific, and he's done all that while leading a cultural revolution. So he's made a very stern staff. I can't tell you how impressed I am with him as a player. You know, I think he's really, really... Uh, just, just just the way... I, I go to his column before the first test, and, and, he, and he was so relaxed to just sort of, oh, anything else you need, mate? You know, really, just a, just a nice... It was almost as if he's playing his 100th test match. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and just for him to identify in the Perth test match that he needed to sort of draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to stand here and hold firm and the world's biggest star is not going to push me around was just such a defining moment. Yes, oh, absolutely. Well, he had to, you know. And look, 
I think that was the test which he found out how Australian is going to play in the future. Like, we're, we're just in, in a situation where we're stuck between all these behavioural protocols and suddenly he comes out and says, look, we're not doormats. We're not here to be walked over. We're going to take a stand and, and we're going to play good, combative, competitive cricket. But it's not going to be ugly stuff. You're not going to hear us shout words that you've got to turn the, turn the television volume down for the kids. So... I reckon he got the balance dead right, and it was great to see. It was, and one thing that's always intriguing when India tours Australia, it's kind of the Machiavellian, Shakespearean stuff that goes on in the background. You know, the BCCI conduct their affairs usually in the dark corners, and, you know, there's whispers that Coley was complaining to the umpires about some of the chat. There was also the BCCI coming out after the Perth test and refuting some of the alleged sledges that Virat said. I mean, it's it's never simple when the BCCI are here. No, it's not. And uh, look, it, it, it's it's complex. You know, it's always on the young and old when Australia play India on and off the field. But I think with stump mics, you don't get away with too much these days, Benners, do you? And that's a good thing. I mean, I think if you go to Wimbledon, you know, you can hear every word Roger Federer says. And uh, if you go to the NFA in America, you can hear that. And so if players are going to take the massive dollars from two television networks, they've just got to accept that, that on-field's got to be mic'd up like never before. And, and I, I like what it's done to the game. It's added colour and flavour to it. And anything that sells Test cricket is important because, you know, the game's been under siege. But what I love about Test cricket matters, it's been a really good year for the test game, the ball tampering scandal notwithstanding. There's been wonderful series played. Yeah, there's been test matches all around the world that have been fantastic. And now, Mitchell Stark spoke to Ben Horn, who wrote an article in the paper today, and he said that Nathan Lyon has found has a newfound belief. And I kind of think that if Australia is to win this series, it'll be Nathan Lyon in the last two tests that gets the wickets, because I don't think... Melbourne and Sydney are going to be that helpful for our quick bowlers. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? 16 wickets in two tests, and he's yet to see a real turner. But look, Mitchell Stark's comments are interesting. They're great mates, Stark and Lyon. Lyon, a few years ago, needed to talk to the wicketkeeper after a lot of overs. Like, he'd say, how's that? How's that? You know, he's going, good, mate. Brad Haddon would say to him. I know people were worried that when Haddon retired, they actually said that about Lyon, that, you know, they sort of, I hope you'll be okay. Not anymore. He's a real confident force of nature. He's a hard man now, Nathan Lyon. He expects results. He chases them. He bowls tough. He, he, he's a really... He bats tough. He feels tough, you know, and, and a really transformed character. I don't think we've ever got to the bottom of him. I, certainly, I've never spoken to him and felt that, you know, I've understand the deep layers within him, but there's a great fighter there and a story there that's never been written to its to its fullness, the transformation of a really insecure guy who used to worry if someone else was taking wickets in shield cricket, they'd get his place. Not anymore. He is a tiger in every way. Well, hopefully he can bowl a straight of victory uh, in the rest of the series. Yeah, I hope so, mate. It'll be great. And to take 16 wickets, he's the leading test wicket taker in the world with 48 entering this series, which is, it's not as if he's gifted these turning decks. It's the most extraordinary story, Nathan Lyon. It really is. I mean, we've had Mira Litterin, Harbhajan Singh, Graham Swan, all these players come to Australia and barely take a wicket with their finger spin. And, 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 you know, or, or take him at a cost of sort of 50 runs each. He's this homegrown kid who used to be a curator who, who's a match-winning force under all conditions. It's just an amazing story. And you walk into a cricket ground and every, it's not as if every given ball he bowls, you think, wow, look at that. But he just gets there in the end. It's terrific. It is, and I can't wait for the rest of the Test Series. All right, Crash, before I let you go, I just want to quickly touch on the Big Bash it started. What are your thoughts on the expanded nature of this year's Big Bash? Yeah, look, uh, it hasn't had an electric start, the Big Bash. The, the first few games have been okay. But uh, the challenge will be keeping big-name international players here for two months uh, on similar money because such is the nature of 2020 cricket. They like to get in, get out in about a month. So that makes it hard. I do understand why they've tried to go and get expanded into February because 
yeah, I get it. In February, the crowds will be down and the ratings will take a bit of a hit. But cricket can't just hand over February to the AFL and say to have the women's competition or something like that. It's a, it's a month which cricket is going to try and own. So I don't blame them for doing it. But, yeah, the product is, is certainly... Can't. It's longer than the Indian Premier League. It's right at its end. That it should never be any longer than that. Now, I just want to ask you about one player who's from up your area. Now, it's a young player called Max Bryant who plays for the Brisbane Heat. He's just a young dasher. He just puts his foot down mm. the wicket and he hits the ball so well. Can you tell me anything about him, where he might get this carefree attitude from? Yeah, he's an amazing player. He grew up watching David Warner and always liked the cut of his jib. So he's sort of like a, a new model version of Warner. It wasn't until last month that he had ever faced 100 balls in any innings of any game. I mean, you think of that. <laughs> it's uh, not surprising. Cricket. Yeah, well, it, 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 in some ways it's not surprising. But in other ways, it's very surprising the guy who played the Prime Minister's eleven all the way through the system without having faced 100 balls in an innings. But it was his goal for the summer, and he got there in grade crit about a month ago. So, beautiful, pure hitter of the gut ball. Just should be encouraged to do that. Could have played... It was a you know, potential top-line rugby league player with the Titans. He was going was a, was a half-back or 5'8", and a nephew of State of Origin uh, player, Matt Sears. But he is... Uh, he's quite something. They... I've spoken to him, and he's very much a sea ball, hit ball sort of player, a horrendous Sayway type. I hope he doesn't get too complex about things. What I do like is the pureness of his straight hitting. Bang, foot, foot down the wicket, bang, club, gone. So he's just a nice, interesting player with a, with a big future. And he's completely fearless at the moment. Uh, he's fantastic to watch because he, he just tries to hit every ball for four or six. Yeah, he does. And... and, and Look, eventually he'll get more second and third gear in his game, Menace. But just at the moment, you know, he, he's uh, it's working quite. He's a incredible ability to make about thirty runs, and, and often it's not forty. You know, often it's just in that mid-range sort of score. But if you get thirty off eighteen, you know, you've given someone a really good start. Absolutely. Well, Crash, uh, I look forward to uh, following you through the rest of the summer. Thanks so much for making time to come on the podcast and have a Merry Christmas. Thanks, Menas. It's my pleasure. Always great to have a Robert Craddock on the show. We're going to take a short break in a moment, and then I'm going to be back with my Big Bash roving microphone. But before that, I just want to remind you all that if you have a moment, please go on to whatever app you listen to podcasts on and rate and review Cricket Unfiltered. I'd really appreciate it. And if you do write a review, maybe send it in uh, to my email address, which is ozcricketpod at gmail.com, and I'll read it out on the show. All right, coming up after the break, I was at the SCG on Saturday and I spoke to Elise Perry, who scored a magnificent 100 against the Brisbane Heat, her second century of the Women's Big Bash season. Then after Elise Perry, I spoke to Grace Harris, who last week broke the record for the fastest Women's Big Bash League century, making 100 off just 42 balls, breaking the old record by 47 balls. Then after speaking to Grace Harris... I spoke to Ash Gardner, the player of the match in the Women's World T20, but she was also the former record holder of the fastest women's Big Bash League century, so I'll chat to her. And then to wrap up my roving mic, I spoke to Josh Philippe, who's come over from Western Australia to play for the Sydney Sixers in the Big Bash. So coming up after the break, I'll be at the SCG. Congratulations, Elise Perry. She brings up her second hundred in WBBL 04. Hi, everyone. Well, I'm at the SCG, and it's Menas on the roving mic again. During the Big Bash, I'm going to be going around and having short chats with some of the stars of the Big Bash and the Women's Big Bash. So let's start with Elise Perry, who just scored her second century of the summer. Elise, you've just been in amazing form with the bat. What do you put it down to? Oh, I don't know. That's just cricket, I think, sometimes. You sort of, I, I mean, you look at teams as well. Sometimes you just sort of get on a bit of a roll and um, you want to make the most of it while, while you're out there. Um, but, I mean, I've been really enjoying it. I think you know, we've got a wonderful setup up um, at the Sixers, obviously, with 
both our support staff and the way that we are able to prepare during the week and then you know just playing with the girls is a lot of fun and um, I love opening the batting with Elisa Healy so you do. I mean you're averaging over 200 at the top of the order I mean you must love going out and facing the new ball with the field up oh yeah look I think we talk about that all the time it's probably the best time to bat um, you know <laughs> and you get to face the most balls as well so um, you know, I think at times it's been really nice to contribute in the way I have, but you know, at really crucial moments as well. What's been the best thing is that other girls have stood up. You know, the other night in, in Hobart, the way that Ash Gardner and Erin Burns batted um, was absolutely outstanding. And then, you know, after Elisa had such a big um, World Cup, she's probably we haven't seen the best of her yet. So I know she's ready to go as well. So um, yeah, I mean, look, it's just a really enjoyable team to be a part of, and I'm loving the role I'm playing. Are you trying to slightly redefine your T20 game? In this tournament, like you bat down the order for Australia, but you're trying to sort of break new ground with this. Oh, not at all. To be honest, I'm just trying to play my role, and um, you know, I think what I love doing is winning games of cricket with with a great group of, of girls in a team. And um, you know, for me, at the Australian level, my role is to bat lower, um, and I probably bowl a bit more um, in this setup with the balance of players we've got. Um, you know, I've got the license at the top of the the order to bat and um, you know I just think the game's developing so everyone's got to develop with it but it hasn't been a conscious thing to redefine anything that I do it's just about the role that I play. And does being captain inspire you a little bit more? Um, oh no look I love the role and the responsibility um, I don't know if it inspires me anymore but um, yeah I mean I, I think you know look at the the scores in this big bash alone I think you know the average run rate has already gone up by a run um, you know and from 120 odd to 140 odd in, in games the team's batting first and you know this team's scoring close to 200 so um, yeah I think it's just an exciting time to be playing this game and to be I guess um, you know part of a team that wants to keep pushing the boundaries is you know the best best place to be. And I guess you have to buy Erin Burns a coffee after this think she got you back on strike to give you a chance at getting your hundred yeah I owe Erin Burns quite a few coffees um, <laughs> I think I ran her out the other day um, off the bowler's hand as well so look she's playing an unbelievable role I don't think she gets enough credit for what she's doing and I think you know in terms of middle order bats in the country she's probably the best one at the moment she's in tremendous form and um, she's so dynamic so it's it's great to have her on our side all right, I'm on the SCG with Brisbane Heat star Grace Harris. Grace, congratulations. I know you lost today, but last week you broke the record for the fastest women's Big Bash 100. It must have been a thrilling innings. Uh, yeah, it was. It was fairly enjoyable. Um, I We bowled first, and I just thought uh, when I was bowling and um, a few of the batters for the Stars teams looked like they were, it was going easy and... The ball was coming on well, so I, I figured it was a good wicket to have a really good crack at, and um, yeah, I hope like things just went my way, I guess, and got lucky early and then teed on. But um, I guess you're always going to give a few chances when you're going to go hard early, and um, I guess my role in the team is just kind of explode up the top and just put the team in a good early position, um, try and make some quick runs in that power play when there's only two out. So. Yeah, Moons and I, we just capitalised really well on that. And it certainly yeah. came off. Yeah. Um, did, when you, it was a fast start, how long into the innings did you start to think, I could get a, a record here? Um, actually, no, nah, I never actually thought about the time. I'd, I um, told Moons I just wanted to chase the runs down as quick as possible and it affects our net run rate towards the end of the season. So I just said to Moons, like, nah, let's, just, let's just have a crack and we'll, we'll go for it here. We'll go real early. Um, but Moons is the one that constructed the innings mainly, and um, she was the one that actually got me to to the hundred. Um, really, she just egged you on a bit. Pretty much, she just said when I was in about eighty odd or seventy eight or something at one stage, and she just said, "Oh no, nah, we're going to win this, but I want to do it the right way." And she basically, if she had to, she blocked balls and um, just to feed me strikes. She only ran ones when we definitely could have run twos and stuff. So. No, it's full credit to her for um, getting me to get to the 100 because I would have just finished on a, you know, 80-odd, 90-odd. But, no, it was, it was pretty good and good to win quite convincingly. So, so, so. you knew the record was on towards the end? Uh, no, I no. didn't. I, I don't know what the... I don't, I'm not really much of a stats person. Well, you, you know that the person you took the record off was here today. Ash Gardner scored a 47-ball ton, so you broke yeah. it by five balls. Have you said anything to Ash today? No, I haven't actually. And maybe to be she'll honest, come and say <laughs> Maybe she will. To be honest, I mucked around there at the end, didn't I? I have three dot balls, so yeah. I could have done it even quicker. But uh, it's all right. I guess um, 
we're looking forward to the season and it's been a really good pre-season for me and a, a good um, start to the season. So, yeah, I'll just keep working hard and um, hopefully I can just keep capitalising on the power play. Um, didn't pay off today, but I can probably hit it a bit bit better today. So, I'm a bit fatigued, I don't know. Big um, 100. Uh, what's, what's the feeling like in the team this year with the Brisbane Heat women's team? Uh, you're close to the group. I know you didn't make the finals last year. Uh, obviously, yeah. big determination this year. Yeah, there's a bit of fire in the belly in, um, for us heaters. So we're pretty we're pretty close now. That coming off um, a big preseason that we've had, probably one of the the closest we've been as a group for a little while, and um, we're feeling pretty confident. Even even the loss today, like we we came pretty close, and we know that we got the firepower to chase down big totals and or set big totals. So. Like we just we just need to keep pressing on and keep believing that we can do it and hopefully the performances kind of just come if we if we focus on our processes and whatever works for us as individuals. So um, although it's a team sport, it's um, it's an individual focus for a lot of the girls. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta know your game and you gotta know what works. And I guess we do that well this year and we've been doing it well. So. Well, we're, we're hoping, we're, we're hoping just to kick on and we just want to stay positive and just um, really enjoy what we do because not everyone gets to hit a ball for a living, do they? No. Yeah, Unfortunately, so. today, though, you came up against a, a rampant Elise Perry. She's in some pretty good form. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's... Um, she's okay. She's, she's pretty cool. good. Um, nah, if you you got to play the player itself and not the, the whole hyperbole of what the media want to yeah. make out. Yeah, she came. She definitely got the better of us today. I guess um, we'll look forward to tomorrow. I guess we can. We can always bounce back. There's always like Superman still has kryptonite, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. You, you can still get him out. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So um, we just we can bounce back and we can put the foot down tomorrow. I guess and just have a good win there and at Hurstville. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. And and Pez obviously like, set a lot of records and whatever, but. No, nah, she's only human. I don't care. So, um, you still got to get her out. You, they still breathe. They still eat the same. They still have blood. So, you know, there's nothing magical about many players that you come against, come up against. So, yeah. you just got to do whatever you got to do, and um, whoever whoever does it better wins, right? Yeah, exactly. So well, we're good. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about your record-breaking century. Thanks. And good luck the rest of the summer. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, I'm here at the SCG with Sixers Women's Big Bash star Ash Gardner. Ash, I just spoke to Grace Harris, who who took your fastest WBBL century record off you. Were you slightly disappointed to see it go? Yeah, of course. Obviously, um, knowing the caliber of her, she was probably the only player that was probably going to beat it, and and she did with a with a few balls to spare. So. Um, yeah, obviously she batted amazingly um, and, and deserved to beat the record. And so now you, the challenge has been set. You have to go out there and try and break the record again. You you know, you're another big hitter. Uh, you get back on those small grounds. You think you can beat 42 balls? Um, it's going to be hard. I, I mean, you're probably going to have to get off um, off the mark probably with a six. But I know um, if the balls are there, um, I'll, I'll definitely be trying to do that. But it's probably at the, the last thing on my mind um, at the moment is, is scoring 100 off. 40 balls. I think I just want to get myself in um, and then and then make it that way. Yeah, now uh, the Sixers are locked in a tight battle in the Women's Big Bash League with all the teams, but the Thunder and the Sixers at the top of the table. Now, obviously, a lot of your um, New South Wales and Australian teammates play for the Thunder. Is there anyone in the Thunder that really winds you up? Um, oh, I've, I've obviously got a, um, a few very good mates in the Thunder team, um, and I guess that's why our rivalry is so good, because we all we all know know each other really well, and, and you always um, want to get one up on your mates. Exactly right, and and having that Sydney rivalry um, is is huge for us. And I know that they we get up extra um, when we are playing them, and um, we're obviously one up against them so far in this tournament. So hopefully next time we come up against them, um, yeah, we'll go up two 0 And so anyone in the Thunder team that you're particularly good mates with, and you're looking forward to getting bragging rights, possibly? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm good mates with Nicola Carey, um, obviously. Her being a bowler, she has every chance of getting me out when I'm out and bat. But um, yeah, I think she's a she's a class bowler, and um, they're a very good all-round team. So every time um, 
we can get one up on them, um, yeah, it's a good day. <laughs> Absolutely. And now, man of the match in the World T20 final, player of the match, a wonderful effort. Have you brought a little bit of extra confidence into this WBBL after that stunning performance in the final? Yeah, I guess you can take a, a bit of confidence out of that. Um, it was a pretty in- incredible thing that we got to do, obviously. Um, yeah, being being named player of the match was probably the last thing that I was thinking about when I was out there hitting the winning runs with Meg Lanning, and it was just such a special moment um, for Australia as a whole, not only our cricket team, but for, for all the fans that have backed us the whole way. And, um, yeah, it was just a really nice feeling coming home, being world champions. It's been a stunning rise for you into the national side. Have you sort of had a chance to at all reflect on your success, or has it just been too hectic at the moment? Um, at the moment, it's been pretty hectic. I think um, it's hard to catch a breath at the moment. But, um, yeah, we've obviously re- reflected on what we've done and how successful we've been. And I guess that's that's why we are so good is because we can um, flick the switch between, I guess, different competitions. But, um, yeah, as you can see, some of the Australian players and the international players that played at the World Cup are, are still going really well. So, um, yeah, it's obviously a really good sign for us. Obviously, our Australian players... Um, the likes of Elise Perry are, are still in some really good form, so um, hopefully they can keep that for the rest of this season. Yeah, she must be inspirational to the whole team, Elise Perry. She's averaging over 200 with the bat, doing well with the ball. It's quite phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, she's um, a world-class player, and that's why she's one of the best in the world. And, um, yeah, it's it's obviously very handy having her on your team um, rather than bowling against her, which I probably wouldn't enjoy doing. But, um, yeah, she's a class player, and hopefully she can keep that success um, rolling through the season. Yeah, I, th- I think she will. Now, what's it like in the Sixers Women's Big Bash League team dressing room? Are you a, a fun team? Do you have a lot of laughs? Is it serious? Is there anyone in the dressing room that causes a lot of trouble? I'm sure Elisa Healy probably might be one of those, but anyone else? Um, not really. I think, obviously, people know when to joke and when not to joke, so there's obviously times um, when we do have to be serious um, and then know when to have a laugh. Obviously, it's, it's good to have a bit of banter in the change rooms before you go out to play, but... Um, yeah, I think we're quite a relaxed team, and um, I guess that that's shown in our in the way that we play our cricket. So um, it's pretty exciting for us to go out there um, and play the way that we've been playing. And what's your plan for Christmas Day? Do you get the day off, or are you you travelling? You know, what what's the plan for a, a Sixers player on Christmas Day? Um, we're lucky enough to have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off, and then um, back to training on Boxing Day. So. We've got two days to spend with some family and friends and then, yeah, refresh and then get back into it. Well, Ash, have a great festive season and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you very much. All right, I'm on the SCG after the Sixers smashed the Scorchers in in their first game in the Big Bash with Josh Philippe. Now, Josh, for a start, welcome to the Sixers from Perth. How are you finding it so far? Thanks, mate. Yeah, I've been loving it so far. It's a, a great environment and I've really enjoyed playing well, for, um, for the first first game tonight at the SCG, I think it's an amazing ground and yeah, it's um, great to have all the fans out too and it's a really good vibe. Now, what, what was the reason that you moved across from the Scorchers to the Sixers? Uh, I just felt there was greater opportunity. I mean, initially I was going to stay on a, on a non-contract at the Scorchers because I felt that there was um, going to be the opportunity there, but then the Sixers came along and I felt when they offered me the gloves... Um, so, to, so to keep, I just felt that opportunity was really good and it was one I wanted to take. Great, there's a little bit of pressure. I mean, you've got a pretty good gloveman behind you in the Sixers squad, in Pete Neville, so, you know, they've put a lot of faith in you, the Sixers, to give you the job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a yeah ex-Australian test keeper and he's he's probably the best keeper in the country still. Just Yeah, he's definitely up there with Tim Payne, so they, they definitely showed me a lot of faith, but I'm really enjoying the opportunity and, and hopefully I can keep well for the for the next few games and, and what about the Sixers players have they been welcoming any in particular you've clicked with yeah very welcoming I mean I already know Jack Edwards and Lloyd Pope very well but Moses Omri Sean Abbott I mean I could name them all they've all been really good to me so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the year now today you got to play against a lot of your uh, West Australian teammates how was that when you went out to bat I know you weren't out there for long but how was that yeah, I mean, I faced one ball, um, but oh, I think I was I was pretty relaxed because I've faced them all before, so it wasn't actually the worst thing to, to be able to go out and play against blokes I know, really, but yeah, it was definitely a weird feeling going out and, and facing all my teammates, but um, I guess that's what you've got to do sometimes. And were you having a few words behind the stumps to some of your Scorchers teammates, any nah. little quips to get under their skin? Nah, not really, not really. I was played just, it safe? Yeah, played it safe. I don't really, I'm not the smartest bloke, so I don't really have anything witty to say, but... <laughs> Good luck the rest of the season and thanks for chatting. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
Yeah, I think it's been documented pretty heavily sort of what went on. And um, for me in the room, you know, I, I walked past something and had the opportunity to stop it and I didn't do it. And that was my leadership failure, you know. It was a the potential for something to happen and it went on and happened out in the field and I had the opportunity to, to stop it at that point um, rather than say I don't want to know anything about it and that was my failure of leadership and you know I've taken responsibility for that. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Men is here and I have on the line the newest TV and radio star in the cricket landscape, Pete Lawler. Pete, how are you? Uh, yeah, good, Menace. <laughs> You've been everywhere. Channel 7, the yeah. radio, what's going on? Well, uh, I, I've told my colleague Gideon Haig that uh, this is the summer I don't say no. So I just say yes to everything. Hence why you're on the podcast today. Yeah, hence I find myself in the Channel 7 studios at quarter to 11 on a Saturday night. God, <laughs> uh, that's the glamorous life, I can tell you, man. <laughs> Friday night, wasn't it? It was Friday night. Yeah, you were enjoying... Kept me out of the pub. Are you enjoying your newfound fame? Um, yeah, I think I can cope with it. Yeah. Good, good. <laughs> all right, so uh, I got you on the line to chat all things cricket, and let's start with Friday afternoon. Steve Smith spoke for the first time in, well, months and months and months. What were your impressions of what he had to say? First impressions were, it's really good to see him. <laughs> I really miss Steve Smith. I really like that guy. I want to get that out there front and square. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him back playing cricket as I am to seeing all three of them playing cricket. Um, I thought he was good. And I've thought about it a lot. And I was even discussing this this morning with a few people from cricket. The reaction's been interesting, hasn't it? First, mm. Firstly, I suppose, the, the first thing we should talk about really is the ad, isn't it? The had to sell telephones on the back of his uh, demise. That sits really uncomfortably with me. I don't like it. I don't think he should have done it. I think he's poorly advised to do that ad. You don't, in your in his position, you do not commercialise your disgrace or your resurrection. Even if you were giving all the money away, which he isn't, it's still it's still using the situation to sell telephones. I just reckon you've got to be a little bit more modest around those things. You, you are still asking the country for forgiveness and any sort of step you take uh, off the off a very straight and narrow path, you're going to get leapt on. That didn't sit right with me. So I've had a, a lot of thought about the ad, and I, I agree with you. What what it further reinforces to me is that Steve Smith is good at batting, but he's not good at anything else, uh, especially when <laughs> it comes to professional stuff. And I didn't... Well, I know who his manager is, but I don't know who's advising him and letting him make a mistake like that ad and how it can get out before his press conference. I mean, he's been put through the ringer this year. He should be better looked after. And sometimes I get the feeling that the people around him just see dollar signs. And before them, it was Cricket Australia who just saw runs and wins and not a person. And, you know, he's a great guy, Smith, but how he can err so much and let that ad get out there before he's playing again is mystifying to me. And he has lost millions but he will also make millions more if his rebirth is properly managed. And it wasn't this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't sit right, that ad. And uh, it, it just shows you how sensitive his situation is and how carefully he has to tread. And I've said this before, but imagine the reaction if David Warner had done that ad. It would have been a wholesale condemnation, Absolutely. as it is. I mean, it's pretty 50-50, isn't it? Yeah. But... Um, yeah, anyway, it's good to see him. And then I suppose the other thing, well, I thought he did the press conference well. I think there's a need to get out there and, you know, just start answering questions and start putting that behind you, so addressing a few of the things that haven't been addressed. I was surprised by one reaction, and it was I got a few people said to me by saying I walked past it and I should have told them not, I should have told them not to do it. Uh, that was at my failure of leadership. People are saying that that threw Warner and Bancroft under the bus. Now, that doesn't sit right with me. I don't see that as throwing them under the bus. Yes, the, uh, the stoic response would be, I am the captain. I'm responsible for everything that happens on this field. And so I'm responsible for that. But the honest answer is, this is what happened. And that was what he gave. He gave the honest answer. So, again, 
We're seeing how sensitive his situation is and just how careful he has to be. But uh, I was surprised that people said that that was throwing Warner under the bus. What did you think, Bennett? Well, I was initially surprised. He seemed to think that that was sort of common knowledge, what happened in the dressing room. But I don't think it's as widely uh, publicised as maybe he thinks. I'm sure it was given to the investigators at the time. But, you know, the actual details haven't been well publicised. So I think... Well, no, they haven't been publicised at all because I looked it up. The only details are an agreed set of facts and bullet points. And those were that Warner developed a plan and got a junior player to implement a plan and that Smith failed to halt stop a potential plan. They are the only details we really have apart from the... uh, half-honest press conference that they did immediately after play that day. Mm. Well, I don't mind Smith being honest about that. That's what happened, and that was his failure of leadership. I mean, that was his moment to stand up, and he didn't. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it it was a bit of a, we all know what happened in there. Well, see, actually, we don't. And everyone who did a written written interview, those players who wanted to see the transcripts of their interviews and consider whether they would appeal were told that they would only be shown parts of the, the uh, transcripts of other players and that they would have to sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, had they looked at them. So those things are treated a little bit like, you know, some secret government dossier that's probably been locked away. In fact, there's probably, except there's probably no statute of limitations on them. They'll remain secret forever, those interviews, or until somebody's got nothing to lose. I'd love to ask Smith why he didn't intervene then when he's looked back what is it that stopped him from intervening that i think is the key question was it burnout was it just an overwhelming will to win was it you know could have been a number of things but that's the answer that's what i want to know why he didn't stand up then yeah that's right was he just couldn't be bothered or was it didn't bother him that much what they're up to but uh, look we've said it before he was in an increasingly bad place at that time. This is no excuse, but he, his mental state wasn't great. As <laughs> None of them were in a great mental state. They were feeling the pressure of that, that series, understandably. And you could judge Stephen's mental state by his reaction to a, day, a few days earlier to Rabada getting off. I mean, Smith kind of went a little rogue in his press statements after that. I remember him coming out and saying, oh, we're going to have to go to the match referees now because apparently it's a different set of rules about how you play cricket, you know, basically that it's a contact sport. And I remember the look on the um, Cricket Australia media person's face that day. He's like, God, you know. She said to me, I uh, I, I kind of give up a little bit. I can't, I, I tell them, what I, tell, I advise them, but they don't take my advice. That was a poor thing to say. And then he repeated it a few times. He, he couldn't control his anger. He went into the game in that mind state. But anyway, that's just making excuses, I guess. Maybe Smith should have got Rabada's lawyer to appeal his excessive sanction. <laughs> um, so, so he didn't... He, he, Mapofu. Yeah, he's get him over. That guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The guy who turned out to be Winnie Mandela's lover. <laughs> okay, wow. Yeah, didn't you know that? No. That was the reason that... Oh, that was the reason that Winnie and Nelson Mandela broke up, that lawyer. Well, he was, so, he's certainly yeah. proficient at getting guilty parties off. Um, what about <laughs> Smith? He didn't completely rule out a return to the captaincy. He was very measured in what he said. Our great mate Ben Horn pressed him on this a little, but he uh, he didn't rule it out completely. No, he didn't rule it out, but uh, how do you answer those questions? Do you want to be Australian captain again? If you say yes, everyone lets him, Smith, I want to captain Australia again then, you know, the camera turns to the left and looks at uh, a man recently labelled the interim Australian captain, Tim Payne. I mean, it's not a good look, and it's a look that caused problems for vice-captains across the past decade, because I remember when Michael Clark was made vice-captain, he sort of spoke, you know, it, his ambition was judged to be too great. He should have kept his eyes down and focused on his job, and people believed that he was too ambitious to be Australian captain. So you've got to be really careful about what you say in those situations. You're saying you want somebody else's job. Mm, yeah, he was pretty careful about what he said, but at least it's, mm. he's, he's, he's certainly 
said he just wants to get back playing first, and that's the right thing to say. I just think now it's great. He's going away now for a little while. He's off on holiday. Then he's playing some T20 cricket around the world, and then in a few months we'll see him back in the Australian team. He'll be rushed back in there. Yeah, I don't think there'll be any delay. I think he got a century yesterday in Sydney cricket, so... uh... They won't, they won't be hesitating to get Stephen back into the team. Now, Pete, I want to turn our attention now to an article you wrote last week about, I can't remember the headline, but it, I've called it the great coaching dilemma, and I've actually added selectors to this. Now, I spoke to Mike Hussey a few weeks ago, and he said that one of the problems with getting good selectors is it's actually not a very attractive job. The pay is not incredible. You're traveling a lot. And it seems like it's similar to coaching. You talked about Justin Langer trying to get some coaches in, but it's just hard to lure these great Australian cricketers like Ponting into coaching because it's there's not the same financial rewards and it takes you away from your family. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's the, that's the headline-grabbing part of the article. But the, the other bit is it's hard to lure any cricketers into coaching because you finish Shield or you finish your test career. If you want to go into coaching... You're really both sort of going into an apprenticeship in a way. There's not a lot of money in the early years, and there's only a couple of prize jobs. And the state jobs, well, certain state jobs don't pay a lot. I mean, I think JL was on around 300 at WA, but he was the exception. But you can get as little as 130 as a state coach, and it's a big job. So it is quite the issue. They need to redistribute the money, I think, because... The IPL, I mean, people, some Australians are picking up half a mil for work or more for working in the IPL, which is a couple of months. So why are they going to want a job that's basically an 11-month-a-year job, 10-month-a-year job, that pays a fifth of that? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's yeah. hard to lure them in. And, you know, you're losing great minds from the game that aren't being able to pass on all the knowledge they have. No, no. So there needs to be a way to get them in in the first place for those so even to those positions at the academy, I mean, the article said we were, we're really lucky that Ryan Harris and Chris Rogers have such a passion for the game that they've gone into that, those jobs and they're in a position where they can do them because Ryan lives near the academy and Chris is pretty footloose and fancy free. But, uh, you know, that's become unusual. I mean, you look, I mean, when the academy was, I know what Rod did when he was there talking to Ricky Ponting about this, you know, he had a rotation of former greats come through the academy and work with them for months. So, you know, they'll have Dennis Lilly, Greg Chappell, Ian Chappell, people like that coming through and working with the kids. And uh, it was a great place to work. Not sure what they do now. I think they do try and do that, but it's harder for them. Yeah, I had Jason Gillespie on the last podcast, and he said that he, when he retired, he applied for many coaching positions and was knocked back. And I think eventually he had to go to Zimbabwe to actually get a go. I mean, yeah, well, he, he was a, there was a complexity with this from memory, although you really are testing my memory there. I think that he had gone and signed up with the ICL, which was a Rebel 2020 league. And so therefore... I think he was persona non grata at Cricket Australia for a little while. But his situation's perfect. Like my mail is he's on about he's on about a hundred and twenty thousand pounds. So, you know, that's like for seven months work. Yeah. And Sorry. he gets come, to get, come come home for summer and coach the strikers. Yeah, and he's kind of he runs a sort of executive coaching position there too, where he has a, a good staff around him. So, so he's not at Surrey, is he? Where where is this year? Sussex. Oh, thank you. You're better than me. Uh, and then, of course, there's the case of Michael Divanuto, where they could have held. Or he wanted another fifty thousand dollars. He got an an offer. I'm sorry. He was he's the one. Sorry, isn't he? He got an offer to go over there. He wanted. He would have stayed for another fifty thousand dollars here. Pat how Well, Cricket Australia wouldn't stump up the money. The players were so anxious to keep him. They offered to kick him the money and keep him at one point. Incredible. But, uh, they lost him. They lost him, and he, he's on very good money over there where he is now. Yeah, so maybe it's putting some of this huge MOU money into coaching might be a, an answer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of money there. Cricket Australia's got a lot of money, although they seem to be having cutbacks everywhere. But it's about the allocation of your resources, isn't it? You can't yeah. tell me there's not enough money in cricket. There's a lot of money in cricket. You only have to see how many rights holders there are running around. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so let's now move to the Boxing Day test. Pete, you must be excited. We've had an absolute humdinger, a rip snorter, a cracker, a thriller of a test series so far. It continues at the MCG. Yeah, how, how good is it to be going to the MCG with series level? One all. Unheard of. And a few little cracks in the Indian side, I reckon. You know, Coley is agitated. He's really agitated. They, he 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 makes he likes to get under the Australian skin, but I think the Australians have got under his skin a little bit as well. I think the whole Tim Payne situation, and certainly I think he, he's very agitated about reading excerpts from his uh, discussions to Tim Payne in the newspapers. That hasn't made him happy <laughs> at all, especially when they weren't on the stump microphone. And fair enough too. I'd be grumpy about that, but it's good journalism. Uh, so he, Do you know who broke that story? That was Crash, wasn't it? I think what? it was. And uh, the BCCI denied it. There's all, all of a sudden the, the backroom shenanigans with the BCCI have begun. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, they would deny that, wouldn't they? But then again, hey, I think there's nothing wrong with what Coley said. No, it's nah, fine. You call him an interim captain, that's a fair take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't question. Yeah. What's your hunch with the way the Australian selectors are going to go with Hanscom and Mitch Marsh? Because one thing I've liked about this series from the selectors is they've picked six batsmen and relied on our four bowlers to to take the wickets, which I think is the right way to go. But what's your hunch with the next test? Yeah, well, I was talking to someone this morning who should know a lot better than me about these things, and he was very much of the mind that unless it was unless the pitch had been different to the shield pitches, that they wouldn't make any changes. If it was up to me, I think I'd be moving Pete Hanscom on and uh, bringing in Mitch Marsh because I think that Pete's in a really bad place, and I don't think you're going to lose anything in the batting lineup at all. But having said that, there's an argument, you know. Why does Mitch deserve a place? You know, take his 150 out of this summer and he really hasn't done much. There's also that argument, if it is flattish, you really do need... Well, do you need, I think you need another bowler in the lineup. Uh, India are in the same position. Do they bring in Hardik Pandya? Is he ready to go? Well, I think they should if he's fit and they should drop Umesh Yadav and try and bring in a spinner. Either Ashwin if he's fit or Jadeja or Kuldeep Yadav. Oh, it goes without saying, I think, that they get rid of um, Shadeja. He was pretty ordinary in that last test, doesn't you can't. I don't think they'll go in with four seniors again. They could make quite a few changes, but it might look panic. I mean, they could make some changes around the opening places too, couldn't they? Yeah, they could. I don't know. The the backup's not that strong, though, In the for the openers. That's the problem. They've got Agarwal coming over. I don't know. He's a bit of an unknown proposition, isn't he? I mean, he is to me anyway. I'm sure other people know him better, but I haven't been watching. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't been watching the Ranji Trophy lately? <laughs> no. Well, let's just hope we get a, a great climax to this series because we've had two good pitches, two good test matches. Let's hope it continues until the end of the series. And what are your expectations now? Do you think it's going to be a close fought series to the end? Uh, yeah, well, my, I'm always proven wrong about everything because I thought that India would win the series from the start. I thought that they would win 3-1. or two, one. Uh, After the first game, I thought that they might win the series even more easily than that. Now, I'm starting to think that Australia are in this one. You know, Australia have done well. There hasn't been a batting collapse yet, has there, which has been outstanding. There hasn't been great contributions by any Australian batsmen, but there have been significant contributions and just modest ones. No Australians made 100 yet, have they? I think two of the Indians have. But just, you know, those key key sessions, like Tim Payne batting, batting with Usman Khawaja, was it on the fourth morning there in Perth? That was yeah. critical. Got through unscathed. That, that won the test in a way. So, yeah, I, I have increasing faith in this Australian lineup, and a win will do them a world of good, won't it? It will, and, and it my, yeah. my cricketing dream now in the next two tests is for Tim Payne to score a test century. I don't think any man deserves a test century more than Tim Payne. What he's had to do this year, his incredible rise, but also the incredible burden put on him, I'd just love to see him have a moment where he can raise the bat. Yeah, that's that's a great thought. It's making me smile already. Yeah, that'd be skip. Yeah, goose goose flesh, wouldn't there be if he if he got that? Especially at the MCG, 
uh, Australia's falling in love with Tim Payne, aren't they? And uh, that that would seal the deal, I reckon. Certainly would. Well, Pete, you know, I know you're a media, you know, a media diva now, so I've probably taken up too much of your time. So I'll, I'll let you go. But thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, oh no, drama! I'll just send you the invoice to Omenis, or get my agent to send you the invoice. Yeah, get, get your agent to send it across, please. That'd be great. Have you had any calls for uh, offering? Offering work to Ben Horn or anything? Has he got any gigs this summer? No, but I was on the BBC twice last week, so someone's listening. Oh, well, well, well done you. Anyway, we won't if, anyone tell ben got a, if anyone's got a job for Ben Horn or Andrew Mentor, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're about the same height. We could just switch interchange in and out. <laughs> Good to chat, Menners. Well, that's it for another great episode of Cricket Unfiltered. So good to have two TV stars on the podcast, Robert Craddock and Pete Lawler. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Andrew Mensal. You can find me on Twitter at Amenners, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. And we'll be back soon with another podcast.